to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today for the Pharmacy Leadership Podcast. Our discussions for this podcast series focuses on leadership topics within pharmacy practice, including the business of pharmacy, development of leadership skills, career transitions, and more. My name is Ryan Nosman, and I will be your host today. I currently serve as the Senior Director of Acute Care Pharmacy Services at the University of Kentucky Healthcare, and I'm a member of the ASHB Section of Pharmacy Practice Leaders Advisory Group on Business Development and System Integration. With me today are Amanda Brummel, Vice President of Clinical Pharmacy Services at Fairview Pharmacy Services, and Lindsay Amarine, Executive Director of Pharmacy at UNC Health. Thanks for joining us today, Amanda and Lindsay. Today's topic is establishing infrastructure to develop pharmacy population health and service line payer engagement. To start, could each of you give a brief overview of your role and your experience engaging payers or utilizing data to track outcomes? Amanda? Thanks, Ryan. Uh, my role at MHealth Fairview is the Vice President of Clinical Services. I have oversight over our medication therapy management slash comprehensive medication management group our anticoagulation group, and then our pharmacy outcomes group. I work with all of our pharmacy areas to really look at our clinical structure across and to make sure that we are integrated into our value-based care efforts and our population health efforts, and really, again, look just across that pharmacy role within the healthcare team. And so our experience with engaging payers really has changed over time. So I've, I've actually been at Fairview for going to be 23 years this year, which seems crazy, but time flies when you're having fun. And so when we started out a long time ago, and I'll focus most of our, our discussion today with our MTM slash comprehensive medication management program, because that's where we're really doing a lot within um, the payer sector for clinical services. And so that really started back for us in 2006 in the state of Minnesota when Medicaid started paying for services. And then, of course, Medicare Part D at that same time. So we were working actively with our payers then to um, get set up from a, a Medicaid reimbursement standpoint, uh, but then also with that Medicare Part D introduction. And that's really evolved over the years to expand into different areas with uh, more of our ACO contracts and commercial contracts. And we've really kind of looked at this and evolved over time from doing this kind of from an MTM only standpoint and uh, contracting for those, those services to looking at this more as an integrated system. And Lindsay, could you go ahead and introduce yourself please and give us a little insight into your experience? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I'm Lindsay Amarine, as, as Ryan mentioned, and my role at UNC, I oversee our business operations team and includes all of your, I would say, traditional business services. So financial operations, budgeting, and including HR. It also includes our med assistance program, pharmacy revenue integrity, um, and managed care. And managed care, I have had for the past couple of years and we really wanted to have one individual in pharmacy that was responsible for interfacing with our internal managed care department, as well as payers. We had a number of different individuals that were engaged, and I think it was becoming confusing internally, as well as externally to pharmacy of who is responsible. And so I kind of took on, on that role initially 
And as I'm working with managed care, uh, we've been able to really get ourselves a seat at the table into those payer discussions. And by having a seat at the table, I, I spent probably the, the first six months to a year understanding what was being presented at these meetings, what to bring, what were opportunities for us in pharmacy to take to the table. And then, of course, COVID hit. And a lot of those meetings went from happening very routinely in terms of quarterly to not happening at all. And they're just starting to come back. And so we're starting to re-engage ourselves in a lot of those discussions. And so most of my discussion today will focus sort of around that, that payer engagement and on the managed care side. Excellent. So we'll start out with our first question, uh, going to Amanda to start. What strategies have you used to identify the patient populations your pharmacist will be accountable for? And has this approach or the population you target changed over time? Yeah, so I'm going to actually answer your second question first, kind of going into the, the first one. So it has and it hasn't changed over time, in all honesty. So really, when we think about this, we've kind of always have gone into this targeting, you know, chronic conditions and looking at specific diseases to hone in on patient populations. But I think what we have done over time is really right, enhanced that and, and gotten smarter around that. So, you know, we might have moved from, you know, looking at all diabetic patients, for example, to now start to look at ones that had uh, gaps in care and then maybe even evolved to say, you know what, we're going to look at someone who has multiple gaps in care because that's really, you know, we see even more value coming out of our pharmacy team from that. So in general, you know, what we're looking at is um, specific, you know, clinical areas, even if we're holistically looking at the patient, we're still targeting them based on a lot of their um, complexities or disease states. And then we're looking at gaps in care or areas that, you know, right, we have quality measurement around or other things that we want to make sure that we're focusing in on and targeting our populations around that. We've also expanded into looking at you know, a few years ago now, but our, our readmissions and looking at patients who are high risk for readmissions and focusing in on those populations. And in both of those cases, kind of our gaps in care and readmissions, what we've done is tried to use our EMR data and build tools within our EMR to, to self-identify those patients, kind of registries and other alerts that may pop up for clinicians or other team members to say that this is a, a good patient that the pharmacist should see so that we can get that patient referred in. The other thing I would just point out is we also have a lot of partnerships with our payers and in those partnerships, our, our payers may identify patients that they want us to see as well. And so they're feeding us patients and uh, lists around that. So kind of have our own self-identification and then also uh, work with our payers for identification on that end as well. I would say ours is similar. Uh, you know, certainly I don't I don't directly oversee our population health team, um, but seeing it from the payer side, they're definitely focused on the data and focused on the outcomes. And I think one of the best things that our population health team did is, you know, they've tracked the outcomes since they started. And they continue to track outcomes. And when they present the outcomes, you know, a lot of those outcomes are things that, from a pharmacy standpoint, we've done for, for a long time. It, you know, it is tracking INRs, it's tracking A1Cs, but they've been able to demonstrate it. And because they have now multiple years worth of data, 
and able to track and trend. I think that's what's really has been impressive to, you know, whether it be an internal from our, our, our own payer employee plan or from the commercial payers themselves, that's really what they're focused on is having that data, having the outcomes, and then being able to, if I do identify a gap, like Amanda said, you can jump in and build a program and, and build it programmatically. And because you have now a track record of closing those gaps, when you do present a program and an opportunity, people are much more likely to say yes. Excellent insight into the strategies. Thank you both. We'll go back to Amanda for this question, but maybe to get into a little bit more detail about how are the pharmacists and the organization doing this? Yeah. So, you know, when we see patients, we are providing, again, this comprehensive medication management, right? So, you know, getting into our pharmacy speak, we're looking, is it indicated? Is it effective? You know, is that medication safe for the patient? Can they be adherent to it? And they're doing that in individual visits. So again, these referrals come in either through our automated system, through our payers. Of course, the providers can refer themselves. And our pharmacists are meeting with the patient. They may meet with them for 30 or 60 minutes. That could be an in-person visit. Of course, we're doing a lot more as everybody is, you know, tele telehealth medicine visits as well. And they're meeting one-on-one and, and following up with the patient. And we work under collaborative agreement, so our pharmacists can initiate, modify, discontinue, you know, manage the medications of a patient. And we have that, if you looked at this by a disease state standpoint, it would be on, a, on roughly 20 to 25 different conditions. We do it more on, on med classes, actually. And then we're really doing that as a part of the team. So we're located within the clinic. We have other team members that are helping. So again, in some of those outreach scenarios or where we're identifying patients, we might have nurses or other, we have what we call team coordinators that are reaching out to the patient. We also kind of look at our populations within clinics and collaborate with other care team members like our diabetes educators that may be there or behavioral health clinicians. So we don't want to see every diabetic patient. We don't feel like we need to. We, we need the pharmacist to see the ones that are more complex and not at goal, where maybe our diabetes educator partners can see patients who maybe just have their A1C out of range, for example. So that's really kind of hopefully a picture of how, how we manage that. And then maybe just to think a little bit about you know, what that looks like for us. So we're a large integrated, you know, health system. We have roughly about 50 pharmacists. We have 49 to be exact and 53 locations. We are both in primary care and specialty. So we started out in primary care and most of our practices are there. We have 39 practice sites in primary care, and then we're in 14 different specialty areas. We saw you know, roughly around 14,000 patients last year and had over 32,000 encounters with those. So on average, when you kind of average that out, it's about 2.3 encounters per patient. Of course, some of our patients we've seen year over year and they're not, you know, needing as much um, and others are more intense getting to goal. When we look at our patient panels across our population, we average in a primary care setting, we look at about 700 patients that we're actively seeing per FTE. That's kind of our max panel size. Excellent. Thank you. So for these patients that you, your team is seeing, what metrics have you tracked in these patient populations? And specifically, how have you measured the pharmacist's impact on these metrics? 
Yeah, so Lindsay mentioned this a little bit too, you know, tracking A1Cs, tracking different clinical metrics. And so honestly, what, what we do is we track very similar to what our providers are being measured on. And so again, with a lot of our contracts, we have specific measures from our payers that are in our, our ACO contracts. And those are things like the D5. So looking at, you know, A1C, blood pressure use, LDLs, aspirin, smoking cessation, hypertension, vascular disease. We have MedRec post-discharge. We, we actually have a panel of 15 different metrics that we track. Our pharmacist, it ties back down to the pharmacist visit. So it is, you know, attributed to that pharmacist and we can watch our pharmacist metrics around that. That helps us in, in being able to A, report out outcomes, but also to be able to manage our panels around that. And so, you know, on a I would say on a daily to monthly basis, those are the measurements that we use. We've also done a lot within just kind of our outcomes research standpoint too. So bigger things like looking at readmission reduction or looking at return on investment with a payer of utilizing MTM services, some of our clinical studies that we've done showing the impact that a pharmacist has on diabetes metrics or hypertension. We've done a lot more of that research and that's been more published. Um, work that's out there. So we don't kind of track some of those things on a, you know, on a report that we can pull, but those are more kind of our research outcomes. Lindsay, anything to add to uh, what Amanda started there around metrics? I think that the metrics she highlighted are, are great. And I would say they're probably similar. I think if you're looking for where to get started or which ones to track, I think my recommendation would be to get with your managed care colleagues and to take a look at some of the contracts and, and what, what are the outcomes, as Amanda mentioned, that are physically within those contracts that we're being measured against. Because the payer is going to have them, they're going to have them down to the patient level. And that, that's really a, a good place to get started is to, you don't have to maybe start with all 15, but start with a couple that are, even a couple that are maybe outliers that you really need to hone in on. And that, that would be a good place to start. Excellent. We'll go back to you, Lindsay, for the next question. What payment mechanisms have you explored with payers and has this approach differed based on the type of payer? Well, I would say we're in a lot of those discussions right now. So I don't necessarily have anything finalized to be able to share with you, but we are exploring, I would say, different options so that the payers are very interested in that. Uh, there are certain contracts that you know, are, are at one-sided risk right now, but they will move to two-sided risk, whether it be next year or the following years. And that two-sided risk is really where I think the payers are wanting to move to and where we really want to focus in on to make sure that you know, we're maximizing all of our benefit and that we're getting, if there's any bonus or potential payment at the end of the that year, that we're able to get that. And especially we don't want to be paying anything back. And so those are a couple of different things that, that we're starting to look at with the payers. Thank you. Amanda, over to you. Same question. What mechanisms have you explored and uh, is it different based on the type of payer? Yeah, well... Ryan, I've had 23 years of time to play. So <laughs> unfortunately, I feel like we might have tried them all at one point or another and, and definitely learned some lessons along the way. So I can say, you know, currently today we have kind of our direct fee-for-service, right? We 
use the MTM CPT codes, so the 99605, 606, and 607. Depending on the payer, we've used those both as time-based, but also like our, our Medicaid payer uses, they have a complexity crosswalk that they use for that, so they use them on a complexity basis. So that's a pretty common one that we use with a lot of our payers. We also do have some contracts where we've gone in with a PMPM basis, Personally, my experience with that is you have to know your business pretty well in order to get into a good PMPM model because you want to know, you know, what percentage of that population you think you're going to actually need pharmacy resources on and, and how to price that out from that. But And for the audience, PMPM is per member okay. per month, right? That's an amount of dollars that you're receiving ahead of time for each member that you're responsible for caring for. Sorry. Yeah, no, thank you. And so, yeah, it might be you have 15,000 patients in this Medicare contract and you're going to see 3,000 of them that you think. And so, but you're getting paid for the whole 15. So that's where you kind of really have to know on average what percentage of a population you may need to, to provide care for. I will say again, my experience with that is those are the two most common methods that payers like to pay and, and live in. The, that's the world they live in. So they're either used to paying that fee-for-service amount, or it's not uncommon for them to have other care management services or other things that they're you know, already funding on a PMPM basis. Or maybe even your system is at a place where they're contracting for on a PMPM basis for patient population. We have done this on a yearly fee subscription when we started early on. That was mostly working with employers, quite frankly. We would go to self-funded employers and they would buy this as a benefit for their employees. And so then it would be a yearly subscription fee or on a patient fee around that. So lots of different models out there. And then I would say much to what Lindsay said, the world seems to be continuing to move and uh uh, more of an at-risk or even, you know, more global payment uh, model. And so from a system perspective, we have hit over the 75% mark of, of our contracts in our system have some sort of at-risk and mostly upside and downside risk around them. And so from a system standpoint, then everyone is even more engaged in making sure that either our pharmacy team is written into the contract so there, there's reimbursement on that, or again, those shared savings dollars, those total cost of care dollars, if we can make sure that we're reducing that cost of care and improving that quality and, and pharmacists are in a great position to do that, that some of the funding may be supported by those dollars that you're saving in. So it's kind of, I would say in our population, it's a mixture of all of those methods. And I don't think that we're uncommon in that, that you're probably going to have different avenues and different methods of how you receive that payment and just kind of understanding the flexibility and, and really going in when you have those payer discussions to be able to kind of negotiate that way either way or that flexibility around that has been helpful. Great. To finish up one last question, the first step is often the hardest. And so what strategy would you recommend or advice do you have to listeners that are struggling to start this type of program? Lindsay, you want us to go first? Yeah, I mentioned a little bit earlier, but I think if the biggest part with a lot of these programs, in my opinion, has been being able to showcase the outcomes that the pharmacists and the pharmacy team have on patient care. 
that's really where it, it's being driven. That's what is beneficial, not only for the payer, but being seen internally as the individuals that can really move the needle on a lot of these drug therapies. And I think working with, you know, whether it is your own employer plan is also a good place to start because that is something that you are paying for. And that certainly is, is where we started. And then working with your managed care department and getting this incorporated into other ACO plans or, or other commercial type of plans and, and payers that are wanting to move in this direction. And then I think taking, like Amanda mentioned, for them, it's it's 15 different measures that they are regularly tracking. You know, which ones are you going to be responsible for? And I think this is kind of where the, from a clinical side, things are really shifting to pharmacy is, it, well, shifting in pharmacy is what are we going to be responsible for? And I think choosing items that we know we can impact and, and we're really going to move the needle and, and not taking on too much at once. I mean, maybe as you start, you pick two items and you're going to do those really well. And then you build your team and, and build from there. But a lot of the contracts that already exist in our organizations, I would say outline very well what we're looking for and, and what the, the payers are looking for in terms of those outcomes. And Amanda, same question. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Lindsay gave you great advice and where to start. I think, you know, even going back to an earlier comment that you made, Lindsay, I think the first key is to find the need. So there's need out there. Trust me, you're going to find it. But go in and, and see, is the system struggling with your diabetes measures? Are they struggling with asthma measures? Are they struggling with readmissions? What what is kind of your low-hanging fruit? Where is the need going to be? Where can you find that engagement? Because there's a need in the organization and that willingness to partnership and partner around that. I think the other kind of key within this is to have consistency in your practice. If you're solo pharmacist practice, or if you have a group and multiple sites that you're doing this with, being able to have consistency in, in what you're doing, because that's how you're going to be able to replicate those results. And so being able to have kind of that standard of practice and what you're doing and a consistent practice model, I think is key. And then, you know, to Lindsay's point, you know, measure, 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 measure early. Don't wait until after you've started your practice and you have six months in to go, man, I should be measuring this. You know, think of that in the beginning, going back to where you're finding that need and kind of that target population you want to focus on. Well, how can you measure that and measure that right away? so that you can start to show that value. Because I really think that, you know, being able to have that to go back with to the leadership and the teams to be able to show that the impact clinically that you make, ideally you'll also be able to kind of measure this from a patient and provider satisfaction standpoint too. And then someday over time, you'll be able to kind of look at that financial impact, but really being able to measure and show that value. So Again, kind of find that need that you need to have, have that consistent practice, especially if you're going across different practices that you can replicate, and then being able to measure that so that you can get those outcomes and to show that value. And, you know, I think in many cases, the reality is, is that has to be done before some of these contracts happen. So I know it's hard to sometimes have that 
to be able to tip over and to say, we need to do this first before we can get paid for it always. And that's where I think the at-risk contracts are a nice avenue to start at because there's already dollars on the line and there's already dollars on the line for some of those measures. So I think, again, being able to go in and then when we're meeting with our payers and we're doing this again more from a system standpoint, I think a lot of the value that's coming in there is is our providers and our revenue team and everyone is saying, nope, we need pharmacists to be included in this contract. Nope, we need them to be a part of the, the payment mechanism because they're a part of our care team. They're a part of our model. And that's what makes us successful as an ACO. And so you have to kind of go through that first part and prove some of that in order for that to happen. But then that it's a much easier conversation, at least in my experience with the payers, because you kind of have that whole system backing you up with that. Great. Thank you so much. And that's all the time we have today. I want to thank Lindsay and Amanda for joining us. This excellent discussion around pay engagement for pharmacy services. Thank you both. And please find more member exclusive content, including resources for self-development, leading pharmacy enterprises and teams, and practice management on the ASHP website. Thank you for joining us and be sure to subscribe to the ASHP official podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.